rape my dumps. <laughs> For every excretion belonging to me. This good belongs to you. I stop somewhere squatting for you. <laughs> uh, are you good? Oh my god, dude. Am I ever? Yeah. <clears throat> I squat for you. I stop somewhere. As I squat behind the bush. Squat somewhere, spreading my cheeks for you. <laughs> and those every cheek spread is me. I am the left cheek, and I am the right cheek. And I am the hole between the two. <laughs> I am the cheek of the mayor and the cheek of the president. <laughs> I'm the cheek of the hag. The cheek of the hairy and the hairless. And the cheek of thy neighbor is thy neighbor. <laughs> yeah, some shit like that. Yeah, dude. Uh, leaves of grass. Yeah. Alright, you ready for this? <laughs> dude. Do you have that, like, full-bodied picture of Whitman in yours? It's like half. No, like the... I don't think I have it in mine. There was some fucking thing about how Whitman put... Like, when he published it, he published, like... He published it with an image of himself that was, like, full-bodied. <laughs> instead of just, like, from, you know, the shoulders up. Right. And that was apparently a big deal because... I don't know. Poets are only shoulders and heads. I remember reading something about how his pictures, he liked to be in like work clothes and things like that. He like yeah, wouldn't he was... be wearing like nice suits or something or overcoats or hats. Be very common clothing as they would call it, whatever that means. I guess it just means not expensive. Yeah, well, he had that stupid fucking hat. <laughs> All right, this is episode 12, 12 episodes, 12th episode of Heavy Board. My name's Andrew Whitstock. And I'm Sophie Wiener. And today we're discussing Walt Whitman's classic, The Leaves, or Leaves of Grass. This book really doesn't need much introduction. I mean, even people that don't like books and have never read a book in their life have heard of Leaves of Grass and know it's kind of like Walt Whitman. I feel like most people can make that connection if you bring up Walt Whitman. They just kind of intuitively know. Not He's even the guy who sings himself. Yeah, not even intuitively know. It's just like, you know, it's in your curriculum. If you went to school in America, like Walt Whitman has been brought up every fucking grade of your <laughs> of your schooling every english class they bring it up all that kind of stuff but we had yeah i don't know i went to public school <laughs> we didn't, didn't have that you didn't read whitman no you didn't even read like not... excerpts of whitman in like your english curriculum not until not until college really yeah damn 
Maybe you didn't then. Yeah. Maybe people have no idea who Walt Whitman is. <laughs> Maybe they have no fucking clue. Oh, is this the picture? Yeah, that's the picture. Okay, yeah, I there do it have is. it in my copy, yeah. Yeah. And it's Look much younger. We know him, we know his figure, like, like Whitman's face as like an older man when he was a little bit more famous and kind of regarded. But the younger picture, yeah. I guess this was kind of, you know, before photographs too, right? I mean... Not before photographs, but before they were, like, really common. Yeah, I don't have any pictures of Whitman in my copy. I have, um... I have the Goldman Classics Deathbed Edition. Right, so we should so get into it has, that. Yeah. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, a lot longer. It's the, you know, supposedly the last, um... version of the book that he put out, which he put out many, many times over his life and it just sort of kept growing and he kept editing and it grew to include what like some 300 poems that includes like not just what we know to be I guess the original 12 poems that are in Leaves of Grass but also um, like all of the poems from Drum Taps and those original 12 poems uh, that we know from Leaves of Grass are spread out um Except for one, which I still couldn't find. I had to read online. Really? Um, yeah. Last poem in the original version of Leaves of Grass I didn't have in this copy. Hmm. But you can find that online, too. So it's not that big of a deal. The uh, Great great Are the Myths. Yeah. I great Are the Myths. Yeah. yeah. I even I looked through the index <laughs> of the first lines, too, and I couldn't find it. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, so Sophie has an interesting, like, the last version that he put out, which is much longer than mine. I have the Dover Thrift Edition of the original 1855 text. So it's mine is, like, much shorter than Sophie's. Mine was, like, 113 pages in total. That includes Whitman's kind of manifesto in the front, as well as, like, a short, or I guess they say excerpted, uh, excerpted, why do you say that word? Excerpt. Excerpted. Yeah. Excerpted. Uh, introduction by... God damn it, who's the person that did this? Uh, Bliss Perry. And it was uh, excerpted from the American Spirit and Literature, blah, 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 from 1918. Uh, so just a shorter version of kind of his essay on that. Honestly, yeah, I, was... I don't. Yeah, I don't have an introduction to this. Oh wait, yes, I do. I guess I skipped it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I remember now. Mine was Justin Kaplan, who's like just a Whitman guy, I guess. Yeah. So it's interesting that there are so many editions of this book. We've talked a little bit about like poets that are constantly doing the revisions and then re-releasing editions and stuff or editing books and poems that have, you know, I don't know, I guess over their lifetime, they just keep editing them and stuff and then republishing them. Yeah. And so you just kept adding to this book over and over again. But mine, I only have the original 12, so this is like the original publication. And it has kind of this, like the original publication 
does start with this kind of manifesto, I would call it, of Whitman's, where he kind of not necessarily argues for, but just, you know, like expresses his technique, why he's doing this, his kind of ethos behind his methods, his approach, all that kind of stuff. Oh my God. I'm looking back at the, like, so song of myself, I assume is, uh, the first for you. Yeah. The that's, first in the book for you. Yeah, that's the other thing, listeners. Like, if you buy the edition I have, like, there are no titles in this edition. They literally just basically reproduce the original text where he just kind of put out these long... And, like, the big, long main poem is what we he came to call Song of Myself later. Uh, which is, yeah, is, is maybe his most famous? Song of Myself? I would say it's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right, if you know one poem by Whitman like if you know a title of any poem by Whitman it might well be that one yeah so there's that fun little thing or oh captain my captain I guess but that's a different book yeah unless you have this copy right yeah it is a little weird format wise but this was also at a time when like the kind of poetry collection as we know it like didn't really exist right yeah at least like as we know it like they were putting out what they called volumes of poetry but like it wasn't like what we would consider a collection or a book today a little different yeah he splits it into books in the longer edition um so like the first um the first section is inscriptions and those lead up to song of myself and then we get starting from pomenock and then we get leaves of grass i mean then we get song of myself one of the interesting things that i learned while i was <clears throat> reading this book and then like the introductions and the essays and stuff around it uh, I was, I guess I was surprised, but I wasn't that surprised to learn that this was self-published. Oh, I wasn't surprised by that. Yeah. Um, he set the type himself and he hunted, I think, they said in the book, like 800 copies originally that he like printed himself, literally setting the type and like pressing it like they did in the old days. And I guess he was basically just like a street guy just handing out copies. I mean, I don't know. Well, didn't he, like, send a copy to Thoreau? Yeah, probably. And then I think Thoreau um, wrote him a letter. And then, uh, like, a year later or something, Whitman republished it. And he put a quote from, was it Thoreau or Emerson? I always mix these two up. One of them. But either way, he was talking, he got a letter from one of them and then like without any kinds of permission or anything, he just like put it, he put one of the praises that was given him in that letter on the uh, spine of the book. Yeah. And it's important to note, if you don't know already, I mean, the book was condemned. There was a lot of controversy. It was called immoral, all that kind of stuff. Uh we'll get into that 
but yeah, just so you know. Damn. All right, so transcendentalism. Oh my god, dude, I can't stand transcendentalism. Uh, it just gets really boring. I I'm sure there are some listeners out there that really enjoy transcendentalism and like what it you know and kind of in tandem with the romantics what they were doing at the time. But my first question was, yeah, I mean, if we just get into it, like, is Whitman part of the transcendentalist movement? I mean, he's certainly an outgrowth of it. Yeah. I think, isn't that sort of like what he took after? Like, I think that that's very much what, oh, yeah, there it is. It was Emerson. The wonderful gift, the most extraordinary piece of wit and wisdom that America has yet contributed. That's what Emerson said. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that he, that's sort of the new tradition of the moment that he's trying to sort of follow in. Yeah, and that kind of follows. It was kind of like a branch off of the romantics, would you say? I, I know so little about the transcendental movement and elected to skip over as much of it as possible yeah, in my too. education because i just it didn't speak to me, yeah, me <laughs> i was too, so dude. bored by it every time and I was now forced i to... recall why yeah dude every time i was forced to read like walden's pond uh i never read it yeah same dude i would just skip it in school and be like oh it's not important we are all one <laughs> <laughs> is what i got from it all yeah but yeah, as long as you kind of know that, okay, that's the framework, he's kind of in this. And the transcendentalists, the reason I always group them into romantics, one, because I guess the periods were kind of happening simultaneously. If Romanticism obviously was much earlier, but, uh, you know, it lasted a while. And then transcendentalism got like, I don't know, it's almost like the more, more extreme of romantic kind of beliefs. It's, uh or ethos or ether whatever the fuck it exists in i just always <laughs> thought of it as like more american i guess or like distinctly american somehow yeah and i think i mean i think it's born in america i think that um it was like a new england thing yeah and that's something we should keep in mind, too, as we read old books like this. Uh, transcendentalism might have been, like, the first, like, real American literary movement. Or at least, like, the most, like, the biggest. And, like, you know, before that, we were basically just kind of following the British lead, I guess, right? So, like, all those kind of British romantics and stuff. Uh, America, I mean, you know, very young country compared to a lot of others, so at this time it was even younger than it is now. And it was just kind of like, okay, these are like the first, like, American poets, like, strictly American, right? Yeah, and philosophers and... Right. You know. So there's a reason they hold him up as, like, a forefather. That movement is particularly was, like, one of the first very American, like these are American writers and these are American poems and things like that. Well, what came right before the transcendentalists? Was that like 
One was like the Puritan. I have no idea, dude. So that was England, 1500s. Yeah, I don't know shit about history, I guess. <laughs> I don't remember any of this shit. <sighs> what came right before transcendentalism? I don't know, dude. I have, I have no idea. Let's see. Yeah, dude, it doesn't matter what came before it, dude. This, uh... Yeah. It was I would assume romanticism. influenced by the Unitarian faith. But that's all I got. That makes a little bit of sense. But all right, we'll just get into it then. That's enough background. Just so you know, the, we'll bring up the context as we go through a few of these too. Uh, initial thoughts. What did you think, Soph? And you read the much God, longer... God, I'm so... Yeah. I did not... I did not... I do not want any of you thinking that I read this book in its entirety. <laughs> I <laughs> I read those 12 poems plus a few extra. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, I, I am sick of anaphora. Like just fucking listing lists starting with the same words. I got so bored in so many moments and was like, wait, what are we talking about? It does all sort of, um, with the exception of a few, it feels kind of like it's all just one poem. And maybe that's even truer for you because yours doesn't have titles. Yeah. But like, yeah, there were places where I was just like, Oh, this is just all song of myself spread out across this long ass book. Yeah. I'd say the original 12 were very much <clears throat> extensions of the big, long song of myself, you know, uh, they're, they're not all of them, but yeah, they're most of them were just like extensions of the same, even the same sentiments, like the same things, which is the transcendentalist kind of, you know, I don't know. My initial thoughts on this, <clears throat> I kept telling Sophie this as we read through it this week, like I, I was trying very hard to not let my myself be cynical about this. It's really hard not to be. Yeah, and I'm a cynical person, so that may just be a, like my personal problem. But it, like I was struggling to not be cynical about this, just because it's so easy to be like, oh, you know, fuck Walt Whitman, or ignore something like a text like this, like we did, like we admitted that we did with uh, transcendentalism all through school things like that like it's easy to do that so it also yeah it also like wasn't a big part of like my education it yeah. was like you they mentioned emerson and thoreau like they mentioned walden you know yeah that's mentioned that's something interesting like I've been thinking about this more recently, just kind of how much of my education, you know, I'm not blaming anybody or any, I mean, it's my own fault really if I didn't go through and read these things, but I am kind of fascinated by how preoccupied my education was in terms of studying English at the college level, just how preoccupied it was with the 20th century and not much really? else. Well, just not much else besides, yeah, 20th century basically from the modernist till contemporary stuff was the majority of the classes offered damn i didn't touch any of that like i think we touched like we did like mark twain 
Which... Well, like we did some basics. We did, we did Shakespeare, Twain. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Some of the like, what's that like Salem witch trial one? Crucible. Crucible. That's twentieth century though. I mean Arthur Miller like. I'd say uh, Twain is like turn of the century. He had a few before, and then he had kind of got. I think Huck. I don't. I don't know this, but I think Huck Finn was twentieth century, wasn't it? Or is it just before? Dude, I don't know. I fucking hated it. Like eighteen nineties. I, I barely read it. I was like, I can't stand this. You didn't like Huck Finn. I didn't like Huck Finn, and especially like Romeo and Juliet. But I liked it better than Huck Finn. I liked The Crucible better than Huck Finn. I guess it's like a, a Huck Finn is very much like a like a boy kind of book, too. Like just kind of like it follows a young boy, so it might appeal more to young men than it would to young women in that regard. So I could understand why. Yeah. But yeah, it's it is it is interesting. Like the more I think back on it, yeah, like what periods are skipped over majority of these places. I guess it depends what school you went to, how big the English department is, you know, how many experts they have on staff in whatever period. But there are these huge gaps. If you just get like a normal English degree, like you'll study Shakespeare, you'll probably hit Milton. So you'll hit those guys. But then it's kind of a free-for-all. You might get a few guys that come out like Pope and stuff in the 1700s. But like you could kind of easily ignore that and like still get through school. And then it's mostly 20th century like it's mostly modernism to contemporary basically and it is kind of and then you know whatever we're kind of obsessed with our most recent period like everybody is why wouldn't we be kind of thing but it is kind of i don't know just something i've been thinking about i'm getting off topic oh this makes sense okay so that's why i was thinking of this so i was i was trying to remember the name of that conceit we all had to read in high school it was sinners in the hands of an angry god that was from like the first great awakening. So like the evangelical revival and that was 1730 to 1755. But yeah, my initial thoughts was I was trying very hard not to be cynical. And like I said, I've never been a big fan of the transcendentalists, um, partly because I haven't read most of it probably. Uh, but I did struggle at times. Again, this is a short book. I didn't read, you know, Sophie had a much longer version when you get like the deathbed, his final version of it, which is, pub- when was that published? Do you know? I, I mean, I think 1890, hang on, let me check. Right, so almost 50 years after the first version. Let's see. This is the 1892 Deathbed Edition in its entirety. Well, it's a reprint. This particular copy is from apparently Germany in 1983. Okay, nice. Yeah, mine, for listeners that care about that stuff, I think mine was 2007. But it's a reprint of the 1855 um, edition. But yeah, so that's about, you know, about 40 years separates the two versions which is interesting like 40 years life of poet that's interesting stuff 
but I did, yeah, I just, I kept finding myself getting tired, getting bored, getting kind of like, okay, okay. Well, especially <laughs> when you're reading Song of Myself, because it's 52 fucking sections long. Yeah. Some of that, some of which are very long. There was one section that I was like, oh my fucking mother of God, this is so motherfucking long. And I was just like, I don't know if I can get through this. And then I found an audio version of it. And I was like, get me through, man. Oh, get you listen to some st- audio stuff? Oh, yeah. How was that? It was honestly a much more enjoyable experience, even if you have it on like while you're reading. I don't know why. Like maybe it's just because it's such a list that I can't, like the voice in my head just can't both keep up with like um, where all of the emphasis should be and you know what the tone should be and also with like the content like it's just like i'm always reaching back several however many lines to look for like what how did this list begin like god i bet i could just open this and find one yeah and i kept part of my impression of this was i kept trying in order to not be so cynical and dismissive I kept trying to be like, okay, remind myself of the context of this, you know, as you're reading through this, don't be an asshole, (laughs) don't write this off, be like, okay, there was a lot of turmoil in the country at this time, right, this is leading up to the start of the Civil War, all that kind of shit, Uh, nobody had fucking seen Freeverse before, like, that was, nobody had done this, like, nobody had just said, eh, fuck rhyme and meter <laughs> and he doesn't entirely abandon meter i mean some of the stuff is very very musical or rhyme yeah and but it's not like you know uniformed like we would expect in poetry up until this point essentially yeah but it's very like the world is poetry yeah very transcendentalist romantic all those kinds of things so and i we kept speak trying in this american way and like in right. this more yeah. american style and America's becoming a new powerhouse kind of thing. Like, it's just starting to kind of get global power in terms of trade and, like, economic stuff, which bores the shit out of most people that are interested in books like us. Well, so. yeah, and also with this much, like, fucking anaphora and that much, like, repetition of just sentence structure over right. and over and over again, like, you do get bored. Yeah. That's just how it would work if it were prose, too. And... You get fucking bored. That's what I mean. I kept trying to avoid saying, oh, this is boring because I th- it's just so easy to, you know, to do that. It doesn't take anything to dismiss a great work, even if we do find it boring, you know. So I kept yeah, trying to. Yeah, indulgent as shit. Yeah, I, it was indulgent. It was very <laughs> indulgent. Yeah. Uh, and we. Yeah, go for it. Well, and we can say that because we don't have a teacher here to scowl at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. How dare you? No, uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, I did, I guess I kind of felt like I did have, or maybe it's the teacher in me that was like, well, you, you must appreciate this. Yeah, of course. You must appreciate this. Appreciate this. But I, I couldn't, and I still couldn't help myself when there's this one section. There are so many moments where it's just like, maybe because every time you hear about Whitman, you hear something about sexuality. Yeah, that too. It's very sexual at the time, right? Very sexual for 1855. I mean, we're talking, and and the stuff he was saying was very, 
you know, it fanned a lot of flames. He was basically dumping gasoline. There was growing sentiments of abolition, right? All that kind of stuff. He's talking about men and women being equal. He's talking about slaves and stuff being equal. And like, yeah, people didn't like sexual pe- relationships right. between two men and shit. Yeah, like, and yeah, people, people didn't, didn't like that. that. <laughs> yeah, like people didn't <laughs> like hearing that at the time. So it was very, I mean, I guess you, I mean, it was risky to publish something like this, right? I mean, it was. Of course. So we have also... to kind of appreciate that context is all I'm saying before we dismiss like, oh, I'm bored, you know. Yeah, of course. I mean, all of it, you know, is very inventive and new and exciting, I'm sure. But yeah. that because of that context and because of always hearing that, you know, like about Whitman, Whitman's sexuality and all of that shit. I think there were so many moments where I was reading Song of Myself and I was like, is that a sex thing? Is that a sex thing? Is that sexual? There's this one moment where <laughs> he says, open your scarfed chops till I blow grit within you. <laughs> one, <laughs> one, like, oh my God. one of the Gross. things of uh of one of the things in the introduction by bliss perry here uh again this was published in 1918 this introduction that they included in my version i quoted uh this was the famous leaves of grass he set the type himself in a brooklyn printing office and printed about 800 copies the book had a portrait of the author, a meditative gray-bearded poet in workman's clothes, and a confused preface on America as a field for the true poet. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think that does sum it up, because he gives us this kind of, it's like a preface, but I would call it almost a manifesto. He's kind of trying to do what a lot of poets do, which is like, this is my style, this is why it matters, this is why I do it. You know, and these became more popular as time went on. Like in the 20th century, I mean, almost everybody had a fucking manifesto about their style or the craft of it right all that kind of things but one thing that perry said in his introduction to my but my edition that i really liked and he says there are puzzling things in the physical and moral constitution of walt whitman and the obstinate questions involved in his theory of poetry and in his actual poetical performance are still far from solution but a few points concerning him are by this time fairly clear right and he goes on to summarize a few points, but again, this is like a excerpt of a longer essay. So they kind of go over them quickly, but that's not important. But yeah, I think there is like, you know, whenever there's a big figure like this, you know, we, we tend to think that, that everything's settled about them, but it's never going to be settled, right? I mean, this is half the fun of talking about art and books is that we can always come up with new ideas, new interpretations, whatever we want, you know, it's kind of, uh, anything goes within a certain reason. And you can, you know, always have the right to not like it. Yeah. And I, and I, as I was reading this too, I was kind of going through and I was like, I see why he's held up is so important too, because like his ideas, or at least like the kind of lofty ideals that he believes America to be, it makes sense that everybody kind of likes that because it does eventually become what America is trying to be kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, even though it wasn't at the time. Right. So, and maybe still isn't now some would argue, but it's like, you know, it's, we, there is like something, right. So he says in his little manifesto, the Americans of all nations at any time upon the earth have probably the fullest poetical nature. 
the United States themselves are essentially the greatest poem. And he does, he goes on in that sense, right? Yeah. And he's, you know, things stress. that aren't poems, poems. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, the romanticizing, the expanding to nonsense kind of thing, but still. And he yep. says mostly like the largeness and generosity of the spirit of the citizen, where he talks, you know, those that follow Whitman or maybe those that don't, like he's very much about the common man, i.e. not the aristocracy, right? <laughs> not the people that were like landowners and, uh, you know, setting the rules for everybody else kind of thing. Uh, Although he does claim in Song of Myself that he is as much, you know, the villain right. as he is the good guy. Yeah, and he is, right? Because, I mean, I don't think he was... A, his family wasn't essentially, like, wealthy aristocracy, but he wasn't necessarily poor either, right? Like, his dad owned, like, a wood shop. So they were, like, okay. They did all right. Like, they weren't, like, starving, but he yeah. went to school. I mean, I think... He was obviously yeah, highly I, educated. If you were educated at the time, I, you had well, money. I don't know. I don't know that he was, like, formally educated. At university? But I think... Yeah, I think he educated himself. Yeah. Well, either way, I just mean, like, if you were able to read at that time, yeah. you probably... You had, had some... some amount of privilege. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, if you learned how to read, uh, you were probably... He was also a white guy in the 1800s. Right. Yeah. At a time, yeah, where there wasn't uh, equality or anything even close to resembling it. <laughs> like, not even close <laughs> to... Uh what we like to say we, we aspire to now, but yeah, you know, but that's, and it, and it kind of keeps going on like that just to give you an idea of the introduction in the, in the original version here. And that's why I call it kind of a manifesto because he does kind of keep going what he's trying to do with these long poems, why he feels that it's necessary to, you know, break from form, break from these traditions, start new traditions. It's kind of like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a heartwarming kind of sentimental, if not sometimes naive argument or manifesto that he's saying about his work. And everybody yeah, should just buy a copy. Be, yeah. He, he wants to create a poetry of democracy, right. but also a poetry of self. Yeah. Like as, as, his, <laughs> as, as, um, do it. Do with that what you will. As Bliss Perry says, uh, uh, a confused preface on America as a field for the true poet. So it's somewhat confused. It is. If we're being like, you know, trying to be fair about it. It's a little bit confused, kind of full of a few contradictions. But there is this thing in poetry, and maybe it did start with Whitman. I don't know about it. We'll get some angry emails from scholars that are saying we're wrong, but it's like, he was trying to break the rules, but like established kind of new things. Like he's trying to take that kind of like, well, this is America. We don't have to follow the British tradition of this shit, you know, like we don't have to, let's make our own. And it is like, it's a also, kind of a, yeah, go for it's it. also like hard not to read as like a little vain. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah very indulgent we already said that like there is a lot of self-indulgence about this so maybe we should what do we mean by self-indulgence maybe people are i mean well anyone who knows the, the line i contain multitudes probably yeah. has some sense of that yeah. and also just i mean any anyone who i think it's very bold it's also like i am going to speak on behalf of a people behalf of all people basically i i am as much you know the slave as the master right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like yeah there's like a lot of that little naive and yeah. like a lot of just like feeling himself like being like yeah, yeah let me smell myself yeah I smell, I smell the, myself so fucking much the sweat of a work day Oh, did you imagine yeah. what people smelled like in 1855? Probably dude? fucking terrible. Yeah. Like piss and shit. Oh my god, dude. Onion onion room clearing BO, dude. Like Imagine like, the quality oh of wiping. There was no wiping, was there? I exactly. guess there was. I don't know. I mean, with, like not with anything good. No impact man style, dude. Just leaving it. Let those dingleberries dry up. Just using your hand. I contend that that's what he did. Probably. I'm talking about what's his name? No Impact Man. Oh. I don't fucking remember his name. Um, Colin. Someone Beaven. go. Look. Yeah. Colin Beaven like wrote No Impact Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a man who wipes re- with his hand. <laughs> the reason Sophie and I is honestly, it's this is when Sophie and I first met, like over a decade ago <laughs> in community college, and we had this talk by Colin Beaven, who just came out with that book, No Impact Man. And we all had to go as like part of our English classes. And Sophie and I were just like sitting in the back with her, her your, your future husband at the time. But you guys <laughs> were just met. And uh, we were all, <laughs> and I remember us just sitting there and be like, wait, he didn't use toilet paper? <laughs> and like everybody was just kind of like trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, how did you shit? Did you use yeah, and he gets really like offended by. And he wouldn't answer, which that. made it even more mysterious. So we were like, "Wait, no, what did you it's do?" Not even, it made it even less. It's like, oh, you're not willing to tell us that you're not proud that you wipe with your hand. Like, what's yeah. the deal, man? Or yeah, I mean, you know, like, it, it, like just own it. The days you know? I know my friend in grad school. Certainly um, not the days. No way he was using more water. My friend. No in, way. My friend in grad school said he had some roommates from. Um, uh, I forget what country, but he said they wouldn't use, he, uh, I can't even remember, but he said they would just get in the shower and just like kind of hose off their butts hmm. after kind of thing. I mean, like, like shit to shower is a good thing, like but a like make you gotta wipe first. Well, that's the thing is it wasn't shit to shower. It was just literally the wiping. And he said it he would get like, pissed off because sometimes there would be like remnants like in the shower drain. That's not okay. Yeah, and he would have to be like, "Hey, dude, like, wash it down. <laughs> Don't do it. Wipe, wash that shit down your when ass. you're done. Yeah, or if you're not, like, you know, at least wash it down when you're done. <laughs> Make it so I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. And I don't know. I don't know where. I can't even remember where. Um, but, you know, there are ways to do that. Yeah, anyway, we're way off topic now, dude, talking about wiping your butt in a, because of some nonfiction book project you had to write for yeah. your publisher. <laughs> uh, yeah, he seemed like a piece of shit. <laughs> um. uh, all right, so Leaves of Grass. Uh, where do you want to start with this stuff? Do you, I guess we should start with Song of Myself, because, I mean... Yeah, probably. Uh, I guess we're going to have to. What's there to say? Shit's equal. Um, that's really the vibe we get. I mean, we get, you know. Well, and he tries to lay down this philosophy about, like, what makes a good poet and perhaps, like, what is the aim of this new country's poets. Like, they should be maybe doing something different than all the other countries that came before kind of thing. So there is that. Yeah, have you... Yeah. Yeah, have you reckoned a thousand acres much? Have you reckoned the earth much? Have you practiced so long to learn to read? 
have you felt so proud to get at the meaning of poems? Stop this day and night with me and you shall possess the origin of all poems. And that is in part two. Pretty <laughs> early on. Is that... Um... That's like the end of part two. The smoke of my own breath. That's the one that starts houses and rooms are full of perfumes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I breathe the fragrance myself and know it and like it. Distillate. Okay, so honestly, we have two different... We'll see how... Because yours, yours separated into sections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine is not. So I guess he added sections later on. It's interesting that he added more structure as he yeah. went through instead of less really you think well i think it makes sense that i think added i think it makes first. sense but i think it goes against kind of the free verse <laughs> adding a little structure here and there to it probably added a lot more clarity right this i mean the free is to... only so free right like it's only so yeah. if you lose the realm of meaning well then you're kind of going into nonsense yeah but my first question before we get into details or any specific lines you want to hit the ellipses yeah. did yours have a lot of ellipses or did he edit those out later on? I think he must have edited a lot of those out because there was not a lot in this poem. Holy shit. They're dude. here and there. In this like, one? Because I, I was reading the... I, I was looking at the introduction that you have. Not the introduction. Like Whitman's kind of like, own yeah. introduction. Yeah, yeah, And there were a shitload of ellipses in yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. I was like... Oh, dude, like my version... I know you probably can't see this. It's like literally every oh. every sentence. There's like an ellipsis after to kind of separate. Okay, yeah, so very different. Yeah. Just in that yeah, second I don't stanza. Have nearly, nearly as many. So very interesting. I And I guess, you know, we've talked about ellipses before. We've hit on them. Poets use them in a couple of different ways. He's not really using them in like a unique way in this. But he is using them often and kind of in place of commas or periods. And I guess he kind of takes that away in later edits. Yeah, maybe that's where commas are, where I was like, because <laughs> I was getting really bitchy about commas for yeah. at first. The first. I had to really. The first ellipses in this, in the whole song of myself that isn't in yours that you just showed me. I loaf and invite my soul, comma break i lean and loaf at my ease ellipses observing a spear of summer grass yeah i don't have yeah and then he go houses and rooms are full of perfumes ellipses the shelves are crowded with perfumes comma break i breathe the fragrance myself and know it and like it and that keeps yeah, happening that, that first one is just a comma after perfumes in my copy but there's nothing after um i lean and loaf at my ease Observing it's just alien and loaf. Yeah, there's okay. no punctuation there. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, then it does act as like a comma in a few of these instances. And then he did just kind of edit them out because they do work, but they are, I would say, they're overused. This is part of the indulgence in his kind of style here, which makes sense that he kind of edited them out through different various versions <clears throat> because they are kind of, you know, indulged. They're not needed in every instance here. They're not doing much that a comma and or period would do, right, kind of thing. Uh, but that's interesting. Okay, well, there's my first question. Just uh, doesn't matter at all because he edited them out eventually. 
Yeah, apparently he didn't think they mattered enough. Um, right. Well, and the way they're used, I would say, is they don't really. Like, uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about like when we did Kelly's book, and obviously this is you know 150 years <laughs> after Whitman, uh, but uh, yeah, she used them in I think a couple different unique ways and used them as kind of like a uh, all-encompassing kind of punctuation mark. Uh, similar to like an M dash or something like that. She really kind of yeah. used them in a unique way and various different ways. And here it's just kind of like a eh, dot, 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 you know, pause some, you know, move on kind of thing. Nothing super special, but it was, you know, 150 years ago, if, you know, more than that now. So, uh, you know, 175 years almost. Yeah. But I think these first sections were where maybe I was still at my most interested, <laughs> So I was like the most enthusiastic and maybe it's just cause it's at the beginning and like he hadn't hit on these ideas over and over again. Right. That and the places where we got a sense of like something is happening. Like we got a concrete scene because cause there are moments that feel just straight up like prose. Yeah. Like when he's like, if he's telling sort of a story, if there's a bit of narrative happening, like the bit where he like, there's this part where he um, helps a, a slave who's escaped. I don't remember which section it is, but either way, like the moments, yeah. Oh, it's section 10 for me. The runaway slave came to my house and stopped outside. I heard his motions crackling at the twigs of the woodpile. Through the swung half door of the kitchen, I saw him limpsy and weak. I, like, at least, like, I don't know. I felt like that anchored me after so many lists. Um, yeah. After so many lists of, like, you know, <laughs> my respiration and inspiration, the beating of my heart, the passing of blood and air through my lungs, the sniff of green leaves and dry leaves and of the shore and dark colored sea rocks and the, of hay in the barn, the sound of the belched words of my voice loose to the eddies of the wind, a few light kisses. I mean, this is so much of the poem and it's not even the most repetitive and it's not that that's bad. It's just that over 52 sections. <laughs> I don't even have sections. It's just like 60 pages of that. Yeah. So that's a lot. And it is the same. It is very repetitive. That's what I'll say about this kind of, especially Song of Myself. And a lot of the other original 12 poems that were in this. Again, my version doesn't have titles because he didn't give them titles until a second version. Uh, <clears throat> it, it is kind of re repetitive. Uh I wrote down, yeah, Song of Myself is a doozy. And I wrote down, it's yeah. incredibly long-winded. Uh, but also, there is an energy. Like, it's very energetic. Like, you can feel the excitement, the energy, what you might call passion, maybe. Yeah. Uh, kind of coming through. And there are some beautiful, great fucking poetic lines, you know? Like, there are some... Yeah banger lines we talked about the kind of ending line right bloom always talked about that we talked about that on the bloom episode the look for me under your boot soles line uh very great uh 
I have heard what the talkers were talking. The talk of the beginning and the end. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great fucking line. Uh, all these things that I kind of... I have no mockings or arguments. I witness and wait. Yeah. Uh, not asking the sky to come down to my goodwill. <laughs> I like that. What is commonest? What is commonest and cheapest and nearest and easiest is me. Me going in for my chances, spending for vast returns, adorning myself to bestow myself on the first that will that will take the, that will take me. Not asking the sky to come down to my goodwill, scattering it freely forever. Fucking great little bit. <laughs> yeah. One world is aware and by far the largest to me, and that is myself. Yeah. Uh, another, I do not snivel, that snivel the world over. That months are vacuums and the ground but wallow in filth. That life is a suck and a cell and nothing remains at the end but threadbare crepe and tears. <laughs> I cock my hat as I please, indoors or out. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a great little line there. And also, for those that don't know, very rebellious to say that you're going to cock your hat indoors or out as you please. Like, if you didn't take your hat off when you went indoors, like, you were considered, like, blasphemous or, uh, you know, at this time, at least, kind of, like, hats were, like, a very big thing for men. And I guess bonnets for women, like, the idea of covering your head or something. I don't know. I mean, I guess it comes out of a religious thing, right? <laughs> yeah. 28 young men bathed by the shore. 28 young men and also friendly. 28 <laughs> years of womanly life and also lonesome. Yeah, and there is there a are lot some great the, moments. There's a lot of the me, the I. He even refers to himself like like Walt Whitman in the poem. Uh, Walt... Yeah, apparently he like didn't have his name on the book in the first edition. Interesting. Except he did have his name in the first poem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Walt Whitman, an American, one of the roughs in a cosmos, disorderly, fleshy, and sensual, eating, drinking, and breeding. No sentimentalist, no stander above men and women or apart from them. No more modest than immodest. Unscrew the locks from the doors. Unscrew the doors themselves <laughs> from their dams. Whoever degrades another degrades me. And whatever is done or said returns at last to me. And whatever I do or say, I also return. Yeah, so it gets a little bit like me, me, me. Yeah. Well, there are lots of moments where it's me, me, me. Yeah. I mean, because he's like, you know, I am this and I am this yeah. and I am this and I am also this and all of this also passes through me. I mean, that's like, I would say what this whole poem kind of is. Dude, my favorite line in this whole poem is, uh, I guess it's kind of like right a smack in the middle there. I don't have sections on this. Uh... God damn it. I'm trying to see. What's where... the line? The line is come now, I will not be tantalized. You conceive too much of articulation. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. that you conceive too much of articulation. <laughs> I gotta know where it is now. It's on page 41 in my version, but I'm trying to see because there are like little pauses or breaks where he would maybe so make it's... a section. Yeah. To behold the daybreak might be the first thing starting that section. 
Section 25. So it is pretty much right in the middle. Yeah. Dazzling and tremendous how quick the sunrise would kill me. That's how that starts. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Dazzling Which is a great line. Yeah. And with a great line with no punctuation in the middle anywhere. Dazzling and tremendous how quick the sunrise would kill me. Do you have any punctuation at the end of the line? Comma. Same. Okay, so that line's the okay. same. If, if I, I could not yeah. now and always send sunrise out of me. Death. And then we get, we also ascend dazzling and tremendous as the sun. We found our own, oh, my soul in the calm and the cool of the daybreak. My voice goes after what my eyes cannot reach. With the twirl of my tongue, I encompass worlds and volumes of worlds. Right? So that's what I mean when I say it gets a little a little into himself. I mean, what you kind of, I guess, have to be. <laughs> right? To declare a oneness of all things in this way, maybe. But I don't know. Oh, yeah. Come. <laughs> yeah. So that is also section 25. Come now, I will not be tantalized. You conceive too much of articulation. <laughs> do you not do know you how not the buds beneath are folded? You don't have, do you not know, oh, speech, how the buds beneath you are folded? No, it says, do you not know how the buds beneath are folded, waiting in gloom, protected by frost, the dirt receding before my prophetical screams? Yeah, I have that oath speech in between. Okay. No oath speech in mine here. So he did like kind of really make edits to over multiple decades here to this thing. And it's interesting to think, I mean, this is an argument I guess people could make. I mean, like which version is the version we should settle on, blah, blah, blah. Well, the most recent, the most edited, or the original, undisturbed kind of thing, purist. I don't know. I mean, they both have their own. It's like I have the same thing with Marianne Moore's poem, Poetry. I like both versions in their own ways. I mean, I think realistically the longer one for her is better. But I appreciate them both. I think these just offer us different things, and I don't think it's necessarily what we get out of each individual poem. I think maybe in terms of how he moved the poems around as it expanded so like how he took those first 12 poems and how he spread them out and rearranged them throughout is interesting to me this poem is so fucking long dude yeah i mean we start with i celebrate myself and sing myself and what i assume you shall assume for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you I loaf and invite my soul. Yeah, and then for all of you uh, Dead Poet Society lovers, right, towards the end, I, I too am not a bit tamed. I too am untranslatable. I sound my barbaric yawp, my barbaric yawp over the roofs of the world. So a little nice little, <clears throat> that's where that uh, Dead Poet Society scene comes from. Yeah. Barbaric yawp over the roofs of the world and then the last thing i underlined was like the one of the last lines that again the one that bloom always refers to if you want me again look for me under your boot soles yeah that's a great line 
you will hardly know who I am or what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but I shall be good health to you nevertheless, and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keeping courage. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere, waiting for you. I mean, that's a fucking killer ending to a yeah. poem, no matter, no matter what you think of the whole thing. And one thing we talked about is, like, would this be a better poem if there were less of it? Probably. I think we would like it better. Yeah. But I don't know if it would technically be better. Right? Like, I yeah. feel like there's a lot going on in here that, like, I didn't really pay attention to because I'm not as well acquainted as I should be with the history. But, yeah, I think if it were a bit more concise, it would be... <laughs> Well, it's an important distinction to make poem. is just that whether we would like it better or not doesn't oh, yeah. necessarily mean shit, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's important to, yeah. Although, I mean, in my opinion, you know, the long, long poems, unless you're trying to kind of do in the form of the epic or something, like it's usually could always be shorter. But, you know, whatever. All right. Anything else on Song of Myself that we didn't cover? I mean, it's not like we covered a whole lot, but it's a long fucking poem, dude. <laughs> I just realized that I had underlined the line above your favorite line. And then I have the next line circled. Walt, you contain enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's so self-referential. <laughs> yeah. Walt. You contain enough. Why don't you let it out then? Come now, I will not be tantalized. Yeah. It says sarcastically, Walt, you understand enough. Why don't you let it out then? Yeah. Is that an edit? Is that different? No, I mean, it's the, the line above it is... Uh, so it goes, speech is the twin of my vision. It is unequal to measure itself. It provokes me forever. It says sarcastically, Walt, you contain enough. Why don't you let it out then? Okay. One change then. Instead of contain, it says understand in my version. Oh, wow. Yeah. You understand enough. That's interesting. Yeah. Why don't you let it out then? Come now. I will not be ten. Yeah. I think that's a more interesting line. Understand? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could talk all day about the differences in terms of edits over the course of his lifetime, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, but basically... Yeah, and you have sections where he's, like, taking you across America and just, like, naming the landscape or, like, naming different animals that he is one with. Yeah. Or, like, you know... Um... He talks about, you know, ag different kinds of agony at one point. There's the space and time section. Any poems you really wanted to hit? Um, well, the ones that I liked the most were probably the shortest. <laughs> My favorite in this collection, or the one that I think works the most... Uh, again, I don't have titles here, but it starts with sauntering the pavement or riding the country by road here then, or faces. Um, how far after Song of Myself is it? Uh, three poems after Song of Myself in my version. 
So it is, is it the sleepers? I don't know. There's no title. Because that's really late in mine. It's the sauntering, like, sauntering the pavement or riding the country by road here then our faces. Faces of friendship, precision, caution, suavity, suavity, ideality. Oh, I fucking know which one that is. Hang on. It's about the faces, basically. Yeah, it's called... I think it's called The Faces. Oh, really? Faces. Yeah. Yeah. It's late in mine. Yep. Sauntering the pavement or riot, it's faces. And it was also split in sections. Yeah, no sections in mine. Yeah, it's split into five sections. Later edition. Yeah. And I kind of had little messages like my thing with song of myself was I was like, yeah, there's a lot of good lines, but I did, I couldn't help but find it's kind of mediocre. Not to say that it's bad, but it just, I find it kind of somewhat tiring, you know, the second poem and the third poem kind of just extensions of the first kind of song of myself. So the second for you is I sing the body electric. Which is just like a more sexual song of myself. Yeah, let me get it here. Come closer to me, push close by lovers, and take the best I possess. The second poem? Yeah. Um, I think in mine it's I sing the body electric. I mean, I think that's the first line. Or maybe it's the second in mine and not in yours. Yeah. Hang on. Maybe it's the reverse. Yeah, what's the second in yours? It's uh Come closer to me. Yeah, I wrote them down. Like I marked them off. A song for the occupations. That was actually one that I really liked. Even though I thought it worked well. Although it is also I felt more of the same. The ones that were maybe the most interesting or the most different to me um, were, let's see, it's either Europe or a Boston ballad. Hang on. They're really close together. Yeah. A Boston ballad was the ones with the one with ghosts. How does that start? To get the times in Boston town, I rose this morning early. Here's a good place at the corner. I must stand and see the show. Clear the way there, Jonathan. <laughs> it's not even in mine. Wow. It was just the most different, I think. I don't know that I actually liked it so much as it was uh, a departure from what felt like the sort of song of myself style listing poem. Because it is a lot of that. It is a lot of repetitive listing. Well, it sounds like it might have been a poem composed at a later time, too, then. Which is why um, it says so... 1854 under it. Huh. But I don't know why. Because the other poems do not say they don't have a time, a date associated yeah i liked the last thing i read maybe it was because i was at the end and i was like relieved 
In mine, the poems at the end do get shorter. Uh, I was bored by There Was a Child Went Forth. It was just more of the same to me. And maybe, like, we just are this way as, like, you know, poets do this. They'll, like, sort of write about the same idea over and over and over. Oh, no, I do have that poem in there. Clear the way there, Jonathan. Yeah. Is that how it starts? Yeah, but it's set up very weird in my book. Like, it looks like it just is part of another poem, but it's not. Mm. Yeah, and the poems do get a lot shorter as they go through here. And then I think the last poem in mine are the Greater the Myths, I Too Delight in Them. Yeah, and that's the one that I do not have. Yeah, I mean, he has really short poems toward the end here. Well, and yours are much more extended, so there is like... Like, you have Laird Stradabird stuff? Yep. Yeah, that's the And, like, mind. a million tiny, tiny poems. Like, even in the very beginning, I have that section that's just inscriptions, and those are mostly also very short poems. Um, the first one is Oneself I Sing. Okay. Oneself I Sing, a simple, separate person. Yet utter the word democratic, the word en masse. Of physiology, from top to toe I sing. Not physiognomy alone, nor brain alone is worthy for the muse. I say the form complete is worthier far. The female equally with the male I sing. O life immense in passion, pulse, and power. Cheerful for freest action formed under the laws divine, the modern man, I sing. Yeah. And there's like, there's a lot of that. Um, it almost feels like these inscriptions are like an outline <laughs> for Song of Myself. Pieces that didn't make it in or something. Well, there's for him I sing, I, I raise the present on the past. At some perennial tree, out of its roots, the present on the past. With time and space, I him dilate and fuse the immortal laws to make himself by them the law unto himself. Hmm. And then there's like, to the states. Um, on journeys through the states. Yeah, I don't have any of that in mind. <clears throat> yeah, I hear America singing. Then um, the long one before Song of Myself is um, starting from Pominok. Yeah, it all, like, I mean, it all feels very the same. It feels like listening to, you know, sounds of, the, of a landscape distinctly American. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say it sounds like listening to, like, some drunk in a bar. I mean, also that. Yeah. But, like, a drunk, <laughs> but, like, a drunk in a bar during the 1800s yeah wrapping his little it's like cane. i'm a poet yeah i'm a bard the bard yeah man poet who smells like shit <laughs> yeah and like then he has all of these poems about dying yeah it makes sense in the deathbed version 
God, you know, how depressing. <laughs> the deathbed version. Uh, honestly, I'm fascinated by people that are able to write about what they're feeling as they know they're going to die. Um, it's it's extraordinary. Yeah. I remember reading Hitchens, um, Christopher Hitchens on mortality, where he was basically dying of cancer and he was writing this book <laughs> and he didn't even really finish it because he died, right? But he was just yeah. writing about like what it is to be somebody dying of throat cancer, uh, <laughs> like what that feels like what he's thinking about in his life, like what he did with his life, you know, when you're on your deathbed and you're like, Oh my God, like, are you proud of it? Do you wish you could have done more? Like, what are you missing? And it was, it's incredibly moving. Uh, I think you can find that on Amazon. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in that though too. Like writers, particularly probably because, you know, writers are more articulate than at least in the written word sense of things. I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. As I get older too, I'm, I've been more fascinated in like, what is it like <laughs> when you know you're going to die <laughs> and like you're feeling the yeah. pain of death every day kind of thing, uh, slowly getting worse. And that is, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it, I, maybe it's just because it's one of those things that we're all terrified of, like our own death. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'd be interested to read actually a lot of his stuff, what Whitman wrote about it, being on his deathbed, finishing this last volume here, doing edits and adding things. That would be, so listeners, you make a choice. And there's more versions than the ones that we did on this too. I mean, I think there's a couple of different edits and like updates he put out through his lifetime there but if you want to read like the thing that like basically if you want to read what everybody read in 1855 then you would buy like the version i have of the original 1855 edition if you want to read it a little hold bit hold up okay hold up i just read something nice. <clears throat> the city dead house by the city dead house by the gate as idly sauntering wending my way from the clangor i curious pause for lo an outcast form a poor dead prostitute brought her corpse they deposit unclaimed it lies on the damp brick pavement why didn't i read this poem it's late as shit <laughs> i'm i shouldn't laugh at this Dead house of love, house of madness and sin, crumbled, crushed. House of life erewhile, talking and laughing, but ah, poor house. Dead even then, months, years, and echoing. Garnished house, but dead, dead, dead. Yeah. Be Circle interesting. that one for later. There's a lot of people, when they do get close to death, I wonder, they tend to get a little bitter because i mean they're dying <laughs> right like uh, this is about yeah this is like halfway a little more than halfway through my copy yeah interesting uh, i'd be interested to read some of the later poems and like how much he departed because it seems like he stayed pretty committed to the whole democratic vision of poetry yeah but I'd, I'd be curious to see how far he um, moves from it or how much it develops. Fucking Walt Whitman. 
Yeah, like, I mean, even later poems, this one ends, and henceforth I will go celebrate anything I see or am, and sing and laugh and deny nothing. So, like, even of those, you know, words that we get very early on, we see echoes of them later on in the book. Yeah. But yeah, man, I spent most of my time reading Song of Myself and feeling really quite quite bored with the exception of a few moments i feel like maybe i didn't appreciate those moments quite enough yeah maybe we'll revisit this in like a decade and see how our opinions on it changed yeah well it's been like at least a decade since i've picked up same yeah but i also that a decade ago when i was reading poetry i mean i didn't know what the fuck i was doing dude like i was just like oh Oh, poetry. I mean, I feel I feel as much an idiot now reading Walt Whitman as I did then, but like I also feel <laughs> as maybe slightly less, you know, bothered by it, but it's still yeah, still not my guy. Yeah. I mean, that's what like, fascinates between me. Between him and between him and Dickinson, I'll always go Dickinson, I guess. Yeah, I'm in me too. That's okay. So this is a Dickinson pod. That's what everybody like, <laughs> just needs yeah. to know. This is all about Dickinson. If those are America's like first two, you know, big deal poets yeah. that we put in the canon, uh, I'm gonna go Dickinson every time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same. So basically what we're saying is this is a Dickinson podcast, and uh, if you want to have a Whitman podcast, well, it's not this one. Uh, yeah, go elsewhere. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm bored as <laughs> go shit. Go sing yourself. Yeah, go sing yourself somewhere else. I have nothing else to say. Yeah, I just don't like people who like themselves this much. <laughs> I think that's what it is <laughs> when it comes down to it. He likes himself too much. Yeah, I mean, there are parts of it that I thought were... I mean, it's a nice... I agree with the sentiment. I think most people agree with the sentiment, but I think it's a little naive. Uh, we agree with some of the sentiment. Well, you I know, think it's easy to I, agree with the sentiment because it's kind of like the American sentiment. Everything's but it's, a poem, dude. Yeah. Like, but it's more than that, up. too. Like, it's, you know, he's talking about, like, they keep always yeah, saying Yeah, it's the a American, whole fucking philosophy. Right, yeah. So it's easy to agree with the philosophy, but, like, I think philosophy may be a little naive at times. But maybe that doesn't matter at all, so. I don't think it's my philosophy. What, the poet? Transcendentalism. Oh, yeah, transcendentalism, yeah. It's, I don't know, like I said, I kept trying to not be cynical about this, but it just couldn't help but keep being my cynical self and just my cynical self that just hates everything that I come across. Yeah, I mean, like, I thought I would enjoy more the poet who, like, and you know, when we opened this, I was like, yeah, man, I feel like I'm about to get really into Whitman, and, right, like, this yeah. is going to be my moment. Finally going to go like, into that, yeah. I'm, so, it's finally, like, something will have changed, and I will find, you know, myself renewed by this book. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 
like for someone who talks so much about like I don't know like gross body stuff like sweat and shit you know I didn't like this very much at all (laughs) (laughs) usually love that stuff yeah it was just too much like mm, men's muscles in their pants. It's like, yeah, that's hot and all, but like, <sighs> all right, chill. It was too horny all the time. Yeah, dude. <clears throat> I didn't get the horniness aspect out of it. Yeah, I mean, I could have just been putting that there, you know? Yeah. I didn't. I mean, maybe I just wasn't seeing it, but I was, my mind was a much more condensed version. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Anything else on this, Soph? Hmm. I am like ready. I'm ready to be, uh, done with the song of myself. Although now I feel like I have to return to it. Like I like I need to know it better. Like it's this piece of this really important, you know, moment yeah. in history. I mean it's interesting to hear like to read all of like the Civil War stuff. See, mine doesn't even have the Civil War stuff because it was eighteen fifty five, so it was before the Civil yeah. War was like happening. But uh, I think what we're saying is like, you know, read drum taps, read these books. I mean, this is why we encourage you to buy these books and add them to your own library, because having a copy of Whitman's Leaves of Grass on your shelf. Yeah. Sophie and I have now read this, you know, a decade ago and now we read it again, you know, 10 years later. uh, We'll probably read it 10 years from now, too, and have a different perspective, a different appreciation, even if it's not like we're suddenly like in love with Whitman. It's like, you still, you know, you're changing, you're changing as a person, you're changing, you're getting educated through those years. Like you're not going to have the same interpretation every time you read something. And I mean, that's important to remind too, right? Like that's just something to keep in mind while you're reading this, why you got to buy a book and keep it on your shelf so that you can revisit it later, like build out your knowledge base in these texts because yeah, I mean, it's important. I mean, if you like that shit. Yeah, yeah I mean, or just like read what shit. you like, but, you know, you could also be reading all of it. <laughs> I mean, uh, we should be expanding everything. You should constantly be absorbing uh, everything. I mean, I'm. my goal is, yeah, is to read as much as I can before I die, basically. Yeah. Maybe that was Whitman's goal. Yeah, I, uh... I think Whitman wanted to be famous. Well, he definitely is, dude. If he wasn't in his lifetime, he is now. Ruthless self-promotion. Guess you have to. Uh, I mean, even more so. And now, you know, the internet age, dude. Everybody has a voice, but you gotta make us care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, anybody can say what they want, yeah. but who cares? <laughs> you know? Aggressive self-promotion. Yeah. The only game in town. That's the lesson. Who gives a shit? (laughs) Poetry. Who cares? 
<laughs> yeah, dude. That's uh, that's the leaves of grass summary. Who cares? All right, <laughs> yeah, I'm bored talking about this. Yeah. I wish I had more to offer, listeners, but I don't. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty boring. Yeah, so like, you should read it for yourself. I really, yeah. I urge you to read it and try not to be bored. <laughs> I yeah. fell asleep reading this book so many times. Yeah. Like, just instantly. Like I think this down. is a really great falling asleep book. Like, laying down in bed, picking it up. and yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the couch. I slept on the couch <laughs> many nights while I was reading this book. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking, like, 9.30 p.m. Damn. Yeah, it's bad. Oh, you know what? I like to think of time as far as long poems go. You know, we don't have to go back into it. I mean, we can if you want to. I don't even know if I have that in my... To think of time, of all that retrospection, to think of today and the ages continued henceforward. Have you guessed you yourself would not continue? Not a day passes, not a minute or second without a corpse. Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, that's that's the line I highlighted from that one, yeah. Yeah. When the dull nights are I mean, over it, and the dull days also. Yeah. <laughs> when the soreness of lying so much in bed is over. <laughs> yeah. So for a lot of repeated phrases and a lot of ands and a lot of commas <laughs> or if you buy the original a lot of ellipses yeah and probably still a lot of commas <laughs> yeah alright we're bored as shit we're bored as shit let me get my little spiel since this is one I think we're yeah, dude, rustling papers, a lot of shit right now. Yeah, sorry. I think it adds ambiance, dude, so it knows we're using, like, physical <laughs> books and physical pages to write notes. No. Uh, all right, so you can contact us at heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash heavyboard. Uh, receive full uncensored episodes for subscribers, bonus interviews, bonus content, all that good stuff. Check out our YouTube channels for more. Links to all the books and everything we covered in the descriptions, both versions. And next episode, we're doing Butterfield 8 by John O'Hara. Probably his most famous novel. I think Sophie said there's a version with a nice introduction by Fran Lebowitz which Fran is on our list to do on this pod eventually, so we're going <laughs> to cover Fran. I just purchased for $4.88 on eBay. Yeah, so you can get good copies. I have a weird version. I have like a Library of American like, comp- like anthology style version with that in it, so I'll be using that one, but you can find cheap copies, like paperbacks of the classic version and all that good stuff, but yeah. All right, this has been Heavy Board. My name's Andrew Whitstep. Oh, and I had shit in my mouth, but uh, I'm Sophie Weiner. I guess we'll uh, we'll see you guys next time. Shit in my mouth.
Heavy. Bored. Heavy. I am heavy, heavy, heavy. Bored. Sweats and the day sweats, pal. Pal, I do.